When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride is someone I am shocked hasn't divorced me because of what happened last week, but we'll get into that later. Mr. Will the Thrill. Well, first I'm going to say greetings and salutations, and then we've had a new addition to our family. Well, wait, 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 wait. Oh, we're, okay. we're, we're going to do a section called Some Good News. Ew. I did not steal that from the guy from A Quiet Place. That's fine. But- I would also like to introduce our storyteller for this series, and that is my brother, Mr. TJ2, the Deuce. That is a- <sighs> okay, that see that that was a refreshing sip sound. What are we drinking, T? Well, we're having a Shinerbach from the great state of Texas, as the artist we're about to start on is. Tried to find a Lone Star because they bill themselves as the national beer of Texas, <laughs> but, but huh. those those are a little hard to come by in the, the, my neck of the woods. Huh. Wonder if there's a way that we could get around that. I'm sure there is. So, like I said, we're going to start off with some good news this week. LD's pregnant. No, I'm not. Oh, my God. What? Stop it. No, no. But we, we did have you a said new something ad- about an addition to the family. We so. do. And she's a two month old Pomeranian. And we named her Lydia. Will, do you want to talk about why you, you were on the verge of just letting me go? So this has gone on for quite some time. LD has wanted a Pomeranian. I always thought they were, you know, silly and pretentious dogs. But we were shopping around, found a really cute one that's mild-mannered. We'll get along with the cats. I am now the one who gets to walk it while it wears a little pink harness. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm really wondering, uh, you know, the real reason why LD wanted to do this. And I think it's really just to embarrass me. It, it's 50-50. Uh, we will try to post a picture of her on the social medias. But she's so cute. She is quite adorable. She is very cute. And TJ, you have some good news, too. Can you tell us a little bit about your good news? I can. Um, I When we get a little closer to the event, I can speak in more uh, depth about it. But so a week ago today, as we record this, implausibly, I uttered the phrase, I'm going to Ridgeway now to meet Ted Koppel. <laughs> totally a thing I expected to say at some point in my life. <laughs> first of all ld can inform people about the about how big ridgeway is because it's kind of near where she went to school it's not big there's like eight people there hi guys and i probably graduated yeah, with or am related to them <laughs> supposedly the property upon which i met mr Koppel is owned by one of your former classmates so but you can't remember their name so that's good i don't remember the name people could ask mom she could tell you but yeah so in december his um, producer, who, who also happens to be his daughter, by the way, which oh, I didn't know nice. until I arrived on the scene, contacted me. She's, but she's, it's not, what's the term everybody uses now? Nepo baby. Not that situation. She was a very established and respected producer. 
a long time ago and only recently began working with her dad. But yeah, it's for a piece on journalism in general. Um, like I said, when we get a little closer to the air date, uh, I can probably be a little more specific. They asked me not to divulge a whole lot until we get a little closer to, to the airing. But the, the, I'll tell you the two surreal moments. First of all, Everybody kept asking me, oh, my God, this is great. Aren't, aren't you nervous? And I said, no, I'm fine. And I was right up until I pulled up and saw the cameras and the lights and Ted Koppel standing there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, crap, this is actually a thing that's about to happen. But he was super nice, very cool, put me at ease uh, pretty quickly. The other thing I thought was very funny was I asked them, well, do you, do you know when this will air? And they said, and it will be on the CBS News Sunday morning show. They said probably the week before or the week after the piece we're currently working on with Henry Kissinger. What? And I thought, yeah, me, Henry Kissinger. Yeah, six of one, half dozen other. Whatever. Wow. Wow. Is Henry Kissinger still alive? I feel like he's one of those people that never yeah. die. Yes. He is. He's been around forever. Uh, yes. He, not only is he alive, he'll soon turn 100. And he apparently just wrote a book with the founder of Google uh, about artificial intelligence. So... Oh, oh which uh, we will have something to say about artificial intelligence because <laughs> Lindley discovered Chat GTP and uh, started texting my brother everything that it was telling me. <laughs> it's amazing, but we might have a, a little secret surprise amazing coming. and scary and disconcerting. Yep. Yeah. Terrifying. Well, that's that's some good news. So we got a puppy and you got Ted Koppel. Yep. I mean, yeah. Great. Cool, cool. All right. Well, you know what? I'm going to say this. I will say that this is the perfect time for our first sponsor break. So hold tight. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. And we are back. All right. Now is the point where I am going to hand the reins over to Mr. TJ2 because he's our storyteller for the next series. And welcome to season four. We made it oh, out. We've made it. Three. It only took <laughs> us two years. The longest season in broadcast history. <laughs> it lasted from to a merciful close. 2020 to 2023. <laughs> This season, 
hopefully it'll be a little bit on the shorter side. But all right, T, you are now we, the man in charge. We, we, so I want you to think about something. We legitimately started our last season in January of 2021 with Eddie Van Halen. Oh, my God. <laughs> So it only took us 27 months, I think. (laughs) There are baby elephants that were born during the time that we have been on the air with the season. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get this new season going. Okay. We are opening a new series and I'm not going to reveal their name right off, but we'll get to it in just a moment. Instead, I want to start with the question, what exactly is an outlaw? One of the dictionary definitions is, quote, a person who lives outside the written law. That's accurate, but an outlaw is more than that and carries a number of trademarks. For one, true outlaws don't actually refer to themselves as outlaws at all. Upon hearing that the brand of music he and many of his friends were producing was referred to as outlaw country, the topic of our new series had the response, okay, and so what? (laughs) Outlaws frequently skirt death. This person had almost too many near misses to count, but very famously dodged being a victim of one of the most famous and famously tragic plane crashes in music history. Obviously, there's a component of lawlessness to the word outlaw, and this guy certainly fit the bill there, too. During a decade-long stretch, he spent roughly $5.5 million on cocaine. I mean, who here, who's the first one to pick up a stone and throw it at that glass house? Isn't that a trifle excessive? I'm just... I'm wondering if we, I, I would imagine if we, if we translated that into current day's dollars, it would be laughable because <laughs> this was 40 something years ago that he did it. Oh, we, he we he also once, he once comically wrote a $5,000 check for the illicit substance ah. in a rural portion of Tennessee at two in the morning. <laughs> he also carried unregulated explosives on his tour bus. Game recognizes game, or in this case, outlaw recognizes outlaw. And this artist's if you attitude made him a favorite of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang who just started showing up at all of his concerts. One of them apparently once took his young son to play putt-putt golf on at least one occasion. Outlaws have a softer side, and that might show itself in different ways, like maybe in singing a duet with Big Bird, which this person did. He also broke Nashville's rules. He fought for the money that he believed he'd earned. He won a contract negotiation by taking a leak. He battled the idea that someone else should pick his songs and his musicians and what studio he was going to use. As with most things in life, he didn't do that as a middle finger to authority. He did it because he was his own man and lived on his own terms, and he believed that artists should control their art. Outlaws and their outlaw spirit also sort of live forever, I think we can agree. This man charted 96 songs on the country charts. He scored 16 number ones, and many of those are now considered standards and classics of the genre. He was an important part of a popular TV show that lives on in reruns, and his image and attitude are immortalized in something that didn't even exist when he passed away in 2002, that being memes of pure badassery. (laughs) He smoked a cigarette in the face of the first lady in the White House. He tied George Jones up to an oak tree and left him there. He threatened to kick the ass of every patron of a rowdy rock and roll club. He blew up a venue that stiffed him on pay. He owned Cocaine Bear for a brief time. He walked off award shows, talk shows, and the most star-studded recording session in history. And he tapped Muhammad Ali, an outlaw in his own right, to be the godfather of one of his kids. This series is about one of the greatest country artists in history, a trailblazer, a highwayman, an old dog, a cricket, the balladeer, an American badass and a true outlaw. We're going to spend the next several weeks detailing the life, art, and sad death of Waylon G.D. Jennings. That's who. Oh, I love it. I have I have looked forward to this so much oh, because... It's true. It's true. 
Oh, it Lord. is. Oh, it's going to be a circus. Th- now, the first two parts, when we're dealing with early life and career struggles and some really, frankly, very incredibly sad topics, uh, some of which some of you probably already know is coming. It, it's a, it's, 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 there's some levity. There's some crazy stuff thrown in there. But once we get into career as trucking, it's Rick James crazy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's $1,500 a day cocaine habit crazy. It's own cocaine bear crazy. It's carried large amounts of unregulated explosives on his tour bus crazy. And you said 40, it is, 40 million it's bananas. And it only goes, it, do what? You said the total was $40 million? The, the total for 10 years would have would have come out to roughly 5.5 million but that was from like 72 to 82 I, I did a slight so conversion we'd I would imagine at, we'd be looking at like over 130 million dollars today oh my god <laughs> yeah it's it's utter it's like one third like multiply it by three it's just <laughs> utterly bananas wait are you actually looking for inflation yes oh my gosh yes hang on uh hold it's five million dollars you said five million dollars in 1981 how many million from 500 well excuse me 5.5 million from about 72 to about 82 we'll go 72 let me see it's like 39 million dollars that's like it's like it's like that's like a powerball amount of cocaine yeah pretty much yeah wow that is utterly bonkers hang on i'm looking this up because uh okay um i i want the actual i'm on an inflation calculator right now so let's uh okay i don't even know how to read this it's <laughs> eight eight comma nine one one comma one three seven and 44 cents it's eight, 89 million and change yeah yeah oh my lord oh my god that you what? know the funny thing is i can't i look at these numbers it's not a real number to me yeah. it's not yes, I, I can't is, even i can't even say this out like what what even as this this what? is like this we're not even playing with monopoly money at that point you're playing with like the game of life money i just can't believe he tied the possum to a tree that's just that's yep, completely he tied, he tied him up more than once and I'm looking forward to this because it's going to be crazy. <laughs> I think people will, will, will love it. I know you've been looking forward to it, Will. Mm-hmm. There, but there's a couple of reasons I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to dig into this. One of them is that I don't think Waylon now is perhaps remembered with the almost royal treatment that some of his contemporaries get, Johnny Cash and people, people like that. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, somebody like Johnny Cash had this enormous late career and i mean almost before, right before he died career resurgence where he did some of the best most vital music of his career in the last 10 years he was alive and did it with names you know rick rubin tom petty and the heartbreakers people like that somebody like willie is still here so he's mm-hmm. still writing his legacy and then people like hank williams died when he was 29 years old so he's frozen in time as a 29 year old in his prime and you know, Waylon did some good work, some very good work late in his career, but it wasn't lauded the way that the man comes around was for Johnny Cash, just as an example, or some of George Jones's you know late career work. I also think Waylon pissed off a lot of the gatekeepers and history book writers in Nashville. And um, I mean, he was. What are you talking about? He was. So maybe he that was, has something to do with it. 
He was about as cuddly as a cactus. I mean, I don't understand why anyone would have yeah. anything bad to say about him. It's comical the number of of, of awards programs and talk shows and, and recordings and everything. He just he would just say F and he just leaves. And he would just never come back. So I think that there may be that may be one part of it. But I want people need to remember because I think most people they know who Waylon is and they they know he was, you know, he was a great country artist and he was one of the outlaw guys and did all the duet albums with William was in the Highwaymen and stuff. And it's like, yeah. But how you need to remember Waylon is that in the 1970s and 1980s, he was every bit as big as Garth Brooks was in the 90s and 2000s. Yep. The first the first country album to be certified platinum, it was actually a multi-artist collaboration, but it, at, the, at the forefront was Waylon. The first double platinum country album in history was Waylon. The first triple platinum country album in history, Waylon. The first country artist to have six straight albums certified gold or platinum was Waylon. He was on a very popular TV show. He was selling out huge 15, 20, 25,000 seat arenas all over the country, including in places that are not what you would consider traditional country markets. He was a, an absolute rock star. I don't think people remember him for being as good a singer as he was. He, he is, you'll see, I've specifically picked a few songs as we get into this to show it off. He had tremendous vocal range. He's underrated as a guitar player. I think if you think of great country pickers, people think of Willie and Chet Atkins and maybe, you know, Brad Paisley, Vince Gill, people like that. Now, um, as Waylon's guitar playing influenced as varied uh, a, a variety of artists as Steve Earle and James Hetfield. Wow. That's and I, I also think, you know, Waylon was more an interpreter of other people's songs. He did a masterful job of putting his own spin on them, making them his own, as you'll see as we move along here. But when he wrote songs, they were really good. They're really, he wrote some all-time classics. I think he's underrated as a singer, a guitar player, a songwriter, and what a freaking superstar he was. So I think he's he's in the GOAT discussion for me in terms of country, and I am ready to jump into this. And you mentioned, you know, one of his monikers was the balladeer. When he, when he got into those kind of songs, he had a very, you know, a sweet voice. You know, he had a very soothing tone. He had a very soothing tone. You know, he had that kind of growly, baritone a lot of times but he could he could go up and hit those high ones too oh, as yeah. you'll see oh, a little yeah. later so if you uh gents if you ladies and gents are ready well let's go let's do let's this do i'm all ready right. all right <clears throat> so our, our story starts in the tiny community of littlefield texas in the 1930s that's where two young people william albert jennings and lorraine beatrice shipley met at a dance now jennings was a hard-working farm laborer who was a sent Actually, a one-man band playing the guitar and harmonica at local dances. The two hit it off, even though he annoyed her by not knowing how to dance and also having her hold his harmonica to his mouth so he could blow and pick at the same time. Yeah. In case you were wondering, the the little harmonica holders, you've probably seen like Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen, Neil Young used, those did not exist. Whoa, 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 whoa. See, you're saying that and you're leaving out one of the best people that ever played the harmonica, and that's John Popper. And I would go to a hill and die on it. Oh, no, no. Yeah. But I've never seen Popper play guitar and harmonica at the same time. That's Correct. true. Does he, he do sings that? And then, no, he no. sings and then he takes it out. Yeah. Yeah. These are these are the, the little things that like you've, you've seen like Springsteen and uses them a lot where he's playing the guitar. And he's playing the harmonica at the same time. There's this little contraption like attached to his head that's holding the harmonica in front of his mouth. Pretty sure Petty did that too, right? Yeah. Pet Petty and yeah. Neil Young, I know both you have used them in the past. Well, those didn't exist. So if you were going to play the guitar and harmonica at the same time, somebody literally had to hold the harmonica to your mouth for you. Huh. 
So Lorraine did that for uh, William. Um, now, when the two got together, he was about 20 and she was 15 and they moved in with his father. That made them two of 16 people living in a two room house that featured one bed. Good Lord. Ugh. And was it and was insulated by newspaper held up with homemade paste that covered the cracks between the slats. So Jeez. 16 people in two rooms. <laughs> oh my God. Boy. I don't want to say we're spoiled now, but we're spoiled now. <laughs> three people and two dogs in a however many room house I have seems like a lot. Much less sixteen and two rooms. No, we have we have we have two humans and four animals, and it's you can't go into a room in our house without having an animal there. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now the lineage of uh, the the subject of our series is interesting. Uh, complicated would be another word a person could choose to use. So William's father, so Wayland's paternal grandfather, was a teetotaler who never drank or cursed. Dice were not allowed in the house, and the word sex was never to be said out loud. Beatrice's father, so Wayland's maternal grandfather, was the polar opposite. Alfred Blevins Shipley drove a truck his entire life, picking up fruit and vegetables in South Texas and bringing them home to sell and often give away. When he went to pick up the produce, if he had any money in his pocket, he would spend it on whiskey, usually knocking the bottle out before driving home and then struggling to keep his truck between the lines. He drank a lot and he cussed a lot, too. Quote, he was a strong man, a good provider and protector of his clan, Wayland wrote in his self-titled autobiography. He was the boss till the day he died. In a lot of ways, I'm like him. I wanted it to be. Grandma Desi Bell Shipley was, so this is Wayland's maternal grandmother, was a Jehovah's Witness. And Alfred used to get mad if he saw her selling copies of the Watchtower on the side of the road. Wayland said Grandpa Shipley would read the Bible, quote, just so he could tell her how wrong she was. They <laughs> fought often and rarely spoke well of each other, but they were in love. Now, the Shipleys came to Texas through Albert's fa uh, father, a farmer and lawman with a handlebar mustache who rode to the state on a horse from Tennessee. I like this guy already. <laughs> yep. Desi's father, Wiley West, was a cotton farmer who was part Comanche, and her mother was a full-blooded member of the Cherokee tribe, and she actually traveled to the area on the Trail of Tears. So, Mr. West, originally, okay, this is where things start to get real murky. Um, LD, can you can you get a flowchart going for us for what's to come? Uh, would you like a flowchart, or would you like a string theory board? I'm good at PowerPoint. Does that help? Uh, maybe, maybe a pie graph or something. A Venn diagram? Something, yes, yes. Something along that nature. So follow, follow along real close. All right. This is probably not so, going to go well. Wiley West, who would have been, uh, I believe, Wayland's maternal great-grandfather, originally married a woman who already had a 12-year-old child. I'm going to quote Wayland directly to finish this sordid little family subchapter. Quote, he had another child by this woman, whoever she was, which was my grandmother. Now, my grandmother had a sister, right? We thought that my grandmother's mother had died, but we found out later that wasn't true. She had run off and left both kids with him. So he married the original daughter, which made my grandmother's sister her stepmother, Wayland said. Okay, hang huh. on, hang on. Huh. I'm already confused. Okay, go ahead. Did you, did you, were you able to connect the dots on that? No, there are I'm no still dots. On it. <laughs> there are no so, dots. Well, <laughs> okay, Wayland's grandmother had a sister, a half sister, but. When her her when their mother ran off, her dad married this her her half sister. 
Okay. Good Lord. And that was always presented as being what I guess that was originally presented to Waylon as being like his great, great, or his, his great, great grandmother when really it was not. It was his great aunt. Okay. Yep. Believe it or not, things could have been even more convoluted. <laughs> great grandpa West, my grandma's father, and my grandfather's mother, Delilah Shipley, had known each other when they were young. They might have been going to get married, but he went off on one of his tears and he took off. When he came back, she was gone. She'd married the sheriff of Ardmore, Oklahoma. They never saw each other again until his daughter and her son met and were married, Waylon said. Oh, good Lord. You may need, folks, you may need to just back that up and listen to it a few times to follow everything, but I promise it'll make sense. Uh, now, the Jennings family was originally Irish and Black Dutch. I did not know what Black Dutch was, so I had to look it up. It's apparently a term that's been retired. I think it's considered kind of offensive. It was basically, it described people who lived, I think, in Denmark and Germany primarily, who had uh, like black hair, dark eyes, and sort of olive skin, and they were called Black Dutch, but that might not have been a term of endearment necessarily. Hmm. So I think that term is probably considered offensive now, but that's what Waylon, that's how he described his, the Jennings lineage in his book. So that's, so I'm, I'm using it, but anyway, but so yeah, so there's a mix of Irish, some, some, uh, you know, Native American background and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I've totally lost my train of thought. Shit, I'm sorry. So uh, in the in the Jennings lineage, you have you know uh, you have Europeans essentially, Irish, and some folks from, from perhaps either Denmark or Germany, and then on the other side, he had some Native American and uh, quite a, a, a melting pot. <laughs> uh, gave us the Great Wayland Jennings. Now on June fifteenth, nineteen thirty seven, which believe it or not was thirty five years before the formation of Manfred Man's Earth Man. Ah. Right. Uh, Tom, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGuinness, and that was your federally mandated Manfred Man reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. All right. Is there anything better than the sound of that man's voice? No. Not much. No, that is the Very few thing things. Very few things. Yep. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, anyway, on June 15th, 1937, William and Lorraine welcomed their first child into the world. He was born in a farmhouse on a farm owned by J.W. Bittner Sr. Lorraine wanted to name her son Galen. His grandma wanted to name him Wade after a boyfriend she'd had who died at a young age. It was tradition in the Jennings family, though, to give the eldest son the initials W.A., so the name Wayland, W-A-Y-L-A-N-D, Arnold, was eventually chosen. Wayland means land by the highway. However, a local Baptist minister stopped by the house for a visit, and upon hearing the name of the baby said, quote, Oh, I see you've named your son after our wonderful Wayland College, which was a Baptist school. Huh. Now, that didn't sit well with Lorraine, who was strictly Church of Christ. Hmm. So she changed the name on the spot to Wayland. The, spe the spelling that we more traditionally know. However, she never actually got around to having his birth certificate altered. So legally, his name would remain Wayland, though he never went by that moniker. Quote, I still hate my middle name, he wrote. And for a while, I didn't like Wayland. It sounded so corny and hillbilly, but it's been good to me and I'm pretty well at peace with it now. The house they lived in was tiny. It had a dirt floor and no electricity or running water. Wayland's mother told the story that she had to sit him on their gas stove to keep the rats off of him when he was a baby. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. 
Waylon remembered from his youth that there would be severe tornadoes that would destroy everything in sight and would actually blow pieces of straw through trees. The wind would blow so with such force oh, that like geez. pieces of straw would be blown through trees and stuck in, you know, power poles and stuff like that. Well, there probably weren't power poles, were there? Because they didn't have electricity. Yeah, exactly. So I, guess, no. so I guess just trees. Just trees. Uh, there would also be sandstorms that would lower visibility to absolute zero. It put a fine grit on everything and it settled into every crease and crevice of everyone's body. And Waylon said you could probably hear that grit in his voice for the rest of his life. Huh. Man, makes sense. The entire family, no shock, picked cotton. Waylon recalled that they would wake up at 4 a.m. and would be in the fields by dawn. It was hot. They had to dodge snakes and they would stay hunched over in the sweltering West Texas summers, picking cotton and stuffing it into 12 foot sacks all day, every day. His mom would actually often carry a baby on her hip while she picked cotton. Waylon had three younger brothers. Wow. Mm. Yeah. The rows that they would pick would stretch from three quarters of a mile to a full mile. But there was a jar of water waiting at the end of each row for you to drink. Oh, good. Oh, good. At least there's that. Did they also leave them saltine crackers? Chimney Christmas. Also, this isn't like Um, bottled water. This is like crick water. This is like a, this is like crick water in a in a probably in a mason jar. Yeah. Or a, or a metal pan and it would be scorching. Right. Waylon said that the cotton bowls would get dry and hard so much so that they would actually cut your hands as you picked. And they were usually working barefoot because they could not afford shoes. Good lord. Staying stooped over for hours was miserable work and it is the source of a popular phrase that is still in use that being in high cotton. Higher cotton didn't require you bending over, so it was much easier to pick. It was far preferable. If you were in, quote, high cotton, you were in a good place. So that's that's a phrase that we still use even today. But that's that's where it uh, came from. And cr- correct me even as a young Jay, kid. Wasn't uh, Tammy Wynette also in the cotton fields, if I remember correctly? Yes, yes. Oh, yep. The last oh. years I did was Tammy Wynette, and she also yeah. picked cotton as a youngster. She sure did. Even as a young kid, though, Waylon knew the life of a farm laborer was not for him. He said there was nothing as mournful to him as the sound of a steam train whistle in the distance because, quote, that train was headed out of town and I was not on it. Wow. That's pretty dark. That is. Hmm. Waylon said that his dad was his hero. He called him the hardest working man he ever saw. He would pick cotton all day, then milk 20 cows on the Bittner farm. And I need to point out, they were not sharecroppers. They were farm laborers. They aspired to be sharecroppers. Wow. They were just farm laborers. He might have also, on top of being the hardest working man ever, might have been the toughest man to ever live, too. He sometimes did construction on the side and on one occasion had a large board fall on him, breaking his back. Yet, later that day, he was in the fields picking cotton with a back so painful he literally crawled the mile-long rows on all fours to do his work. Holy crap. God. And Waylon figures that for a long time, his dad did that work for about a dollar a day. Whoa. So I'm going to say something, and I'm not saying this to disparage what anybody deals with, because I know there are people in very tough situations, but I think our bar for what is what we consider hard work has been lowered a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the man had a broken, man. he was picking cotton with a broken back. Crawling literally, a mile. Literally backbreaking work. Jeez. And uh. we might, our idea of what qualifies as poverty probably is different too because they i want you to think about what i just told you the whole family did for a dollar a day because even if we like do the inflation calculator and it says well today that'd be 12 dollars a day. <laughs> like wow 
Um, so wait, so wait, uh, what year was this? This is uh, light thirties, early forties. Okay. Hey TJ, I hate to interrupt you, but we do need to take a short sponsor break. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And we're back. All right. Let's go with 1940. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, according to this, it's uh, 2164. Yep. Right? $21.64 a day. Okay. That's so they did that work for less than $150 a week in today's money. Yeah. Jeez. Good Lord. And how and there's six of them? Less 16. than $150 a week. Jeez. Um, however, despite all everything, Waylon said that his, his dad, William, was a sweet man. He didn't like spanking his kids, for example. He'd cover them in quilts and hit those with a belt so it would sound to his wife like he was, in fact, going out and ass baiting when she felt like one was necessary. <laughs> the maddest Waylon ever saw his dad get came when he walked to town to the movies one Sunday afternoon. He decided to stick around for both ends of a double feature, and he missed going to church that night for Bible study. His dad pulled up beside him as he walked home and said, quote, you shan't go to the movies on Sunday again. If you said if he said shan't, Waylon said you knew he was really mad. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That's fair. As you would expect, church was a very regular part of family life at that point. Now, uh, Waylon was a Christian, and he remained so through his life, but he did not like the mindset at the Church of Christ where the family went. He said that they instilled terror in you, and he didn't like the idea they preached that God loved you, was your father, and gave his son for your sins. But if you didn't do literally everything that the Bible said, or at least their interpretation of it, that you'd be thrown in a lake of fire, and he'd listen to you scream for all eternity. He said that since they saw love as lust, thought sex for anything but procreation was a sin, and deemed music in church sinful, he figured he was going to hell anyway because he liked music and girls a lot. <laughs> so, it wasn't all bad, though. Waylon said hog killing day was always good as it would mean very fresh meat on the table, and they would usually go out and pull some giant Texas yellow meat watermelons to go alongside that he said tasted like heaven. And uh -huh. he said these were watermelons that weighed like 60, 70 pounds <laughs> a piece. Hmm. Everything is bigger in Texas. That's not a joke. I don't know if you've ever been. We, we yeah. have been uh, twice, uh, at least. They would also put peanuts in a pan on some Saturday nights and put them on a pot belly stove and roast them. Now, this part is going to sound very familiar because it's an oft-repeated tale of country singers. But uh, the family would listen to the Louisiana Hayride. And on Saturdays, the family would gather around the radio and pick up the Grand Ole Opry loud and clear over WSM. Now, you may be saying to yourself, wait, how did they listen to the radio? They didn't have electricity. Well, what they did was they took jumper cables and attached the radio to the truck battery. That's, hey, how, they, that's how they got the radio to work on Saturday nights. Necessity is the mother of invention. 
Yep. Now, William did not go out and play music in public much after the family started having children, but they'd all still go to friends' houses and play music and sing, since frankly, there wasn't much else to do for entertainment. Waylon's dad used a thumb and finger picking style on the guitar that was utilized by both Jimmy Rogers and mother Maybelle Carter. Bill Monroe was his dad's favorite, so he was always really happy when Bill was on the Opry, and it would probably never have entered the mind of young Waylon, living in poverty in the middle of nowhere, that one day he would record with Bill Monroe and he would develop a very special connection to the extended Mother Maybell family tree. I like thinking about things like that. I really, really do. That here's Waylon. His dad, you know, they're picking cotton out in West Texas, some flat plains. They're dirt, literally dirt poor. They make a dollar a day. Their their only entertainment is they gather around the radio and listen to the Opry on Saturday night. And he's listening to Bill Monroe. And there's how in, it would never even enter his thought process probably at that time that. You know, one day I'm gonna I'm gonna be in the studio and record with that guy. It's v- kind of very much the way Tom Petty saw very much the way Tom Petty saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and you just think, there's little Tom in Gainesville, Florida, watching the Beatles being inspired to play music, having no idea one of those guys was gonna be a bandmate one day. You know. <laughs> also, I think I we should have mentioned. I always this. find that interesting. We should have mentioned this in the beginning, but Tom Leiden just passed away, which was yeah, Tom Leiden. He did Tom Leiden, and yeah, um, if you guys don't know, we did a, a TJ did a phenomenal series on Tom Petty, and we covered the Mud Mud Crutch era, and uh, he was a member, a founding member of Mud Crutch, and he sadly uh, passed away, I believe, like two days ago. Upon a recording days ago, this, we yeah. this, yeah, very, very, yes. very sadly, unfortunately, and. and uh, admin Thea did a great job of posting a ton of stuff on our uh, Facebook yeah, page, so you can go check that out. But yeah, but um, anyway, so yeah, so Bill Monroe was his dad's favorite, and you know they're listening to the, the Carter family, and Waylon would end up recording with Bill Monroe and have a very close, very special connection to that extended Mother Maybell family tree. He would also cover Jimmy Rogers. Now I've talked for a good little bit, and we haven't heard any music, and we don't hear a whole lot in this episode, but we are going to uh, do that now as we do though we're going to take quite a leap this is very anachronistic because we're still in the early 1940s and i'm about to jump you up to the release of Wayland live in 1976 uh, that album would hit number one on the country charts and it leads off with a remake of uh, jimmy rogers classic so we're going to listen to that now this is Wayland and his version of t for texas ladies and gentlemen mr Wayland jennings <laughs>
myself muddy water Sleep all night in a hollow log I'd rather drink a muddy water Sleep all day and night in a hollow log Than to hang around Atlanta Be put down and treated like a dirty dog Where's the... And we're back. All right. Okay. All right. I'm going to say this. While yep. I didn't know that song, I can hear how he influences future sound, the, the future sound of country, because right. I listened to that and I can hear Garth Brooks. Yeah. You can hear definitely some of the sort more bluesy rock flourishes and stuff, kind of. Uh, even to some extent, Tom Petty. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there um and that's that's a cover uh, obviously but uh, he, he did a lot of those um I, I really like it and that's from like i said his uh, first live album i believe that he put out uh, in 1976 and we to, to play music in this episode at all we had to jump forward a good little bit in terms mm-hmm. of time frame and that wouldn't come out for i think 30 30 some years from where we're talking about but uh, I, I really like that one t for texas t for tennessee the old uh, jimmy rogers song I, i'm gonna say yeah, i really I I really liked that because I am familiar with like 70s, 80s, 90s country, and it's got that flavor. I know this came first, but uh, not being familiar with it, I'm right. more familiar with the, the generation that he influenced. But yeah, I really liked that. It was it was high energy. I really love that slide. 
there's just something about a good slide that just puts it into like Texas and mm-hmm. Nashville and Mississippi. So I, I'm I was jazzed about it. I really liked it. Yeah. And um and he I believe plays the lead guitar on that one, which is not something a ton of country singers have ever done. A few there's a few, but not I me. Mean, he didn't play lead all the time, but I think he did on that one. Um I'll have to double check. But anyway, I've always really liked that song. By this time, Waylon was becoming obsessed with music and with playing the guitar. His mom and dad showed him a few simple songs, and he'd play guitars anytime he had the chance because he didn't have one. Now, his uncle had a guitar, but he said it was more like an archery bow than a musical instrument. And some neighbors had one that he would play from time to time. His mom ultimately bought him one for $5 from a man named Weldon Tate. They then ordered him one through the mail, a Harmony Patrician. He painted it and wrote his name on it, just like country great Ernest Tubb did. By this time, his dad had set up a small produce stand. Farmers would come by to buy eggs and the like, and then sit on a nearby porch on what was alternately called the, quote, spit and whittle bench, or the, quote, dead pecker bench. <laughs> I like the second name better. That's I would have just used that one. Specific. Now, Waylon would be in the back room playing the guitar, or trying to, and the farmers took a fairly dim view of it. He said he was told by one of them, quote, you ain't worth a shit. <laughs> Another one, <laughs> they really a supportive feel? environment to nurture budding musicians. Another told Waylon that he actually knew famed Texas musician Bob Wills and that he was, quote, an alkeholic and that all playing music would get you was, quote, being an alkeholic. Huh. Waylon started to go perform a bit in public and did so with a friend named Anthony with performances at a local youth center and at local JC's and Lions Club halls. And Waylon actually appeared on local TV and won a talent show when he was about 12 or 13 years old by playing the country standard Hey Joe, not to be confused with the Jimi Hendrix Hey Joe. And he started to dream about music being his ticket out. By the way, obviously his family had to go to someone else's house to see Waylon on TV because they had neither electricity nor television. <laughs> so that's how that worked. So the love of music was intact, but where did that rebel attitude come from? Well, I think you're partly born with the badass gene, but there was one incident that really stuck out to then 11-year-old Wade. One of his cowboy movie heroes, Lash LaRue, actually came to town and made an appearance at the local movie theater. When he did, he attempted to do a stunt with his famous bullwhip, and in the process, he hit the movie screen and tore it. After that performance, and once a movie started being shown, Waylon went to the lobby for a drink of water and saw LaRue arguing with the theater owner and manager. They told him he would have to pay for a new screen. He countered that he told them ahead of time that the stage wasn't large enough for him to do the stunt, and they should have had insurance. Quote, you're going to pay for it, they insisted. Quote, I got a gun and a whip says that I won't, LaRue answered. <laughs> no. um, and and he did, and the terror remained in the screen for as long as Waylon lived in the town. Um, <laughs> slight language warning coming up. Waylon was starting to discover what he called the three F's of West Texas, that being football, fighting, and fucking. <laughs> All right. Now, Waylon did play football, and he was apparently a good kicker, and he also got some time in the offensive backfield. He started to get into some scraps and established pretty early on that he wasn't the guy you wanted to mess with. There was one bully who was running his mouth that Waylon beat the hell out of, and he enjoyed doing that so much, he sought the guy out twice more later that day and beat him up two more times. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) 
Waylon recounted that when he was five or six, two girls that lived nearby told him that they'd give him some pie if he took off his clothes. They told him to lay on top of them once he had taken off his clothes. Historical records do not indicate whether or not he actually got the pie or not that he was promised. There was a neighborhood girl he said he, quote, necked with, and they actually ended up in a junked old car. Um, Her lower half was unsheathed, I think would be a nice way to say what the Hmm. situation was. And Waylon was going in for the kill, so to speak, when the girl's little brother started beating on the car window. Good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Um, His bad boy reputation started to grow in other ways. He and his friends started smoking, as an example, and they would smoke anything that they could find, including discarded cigarette butts, grapevines, and even cedar shavings, which Waylon said is not a feeling you enjoy or ever forget. Oh, God. Um, Not too far down the road. Brace yourself. Not too far down the road, Waylon would adopt a six-pack-a-day cigarette habit. Good Lord. On my best day as a smoker, when I was a smoker, I could do maybe a pack and a half if I was, like, super stressed out. And and not sleeping much, probably. Yeah. Yes. Accurate. That's 120 cigarettes a day. Good God. 120. That's five an hour, basically. So that's like one roughly every 10 minutes. That's that's you never needing a lighter because you're just lighting the cigarettes. You're just piggybacking one off of that. You you use your lighter one time a day. A lighter lasts for 10 years. (laughs) Oh, crap. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and if we say one every 10 minutes and one however many hours a day, we're not even considering hours that he was asleep. Good Lord. Yeah. That's if he was awake 24 hours a day. Oh, my God. He may have. So, yes, almost time. literally just smoked constantly. Good God. Uh, he and his brother Tommy accidentally burned down a granary, but they managed to avoid <laughs> getting in trouble for it. How much um, stuff did he burn down before he was 12? Well, we're, there's more to come. They set a dairy on fire. <laughs> They broke windows out in their school. They busted out lights at the school ball field, scraped teachers' cars with nails, and they were both about to be sent off to reform school. Luckily, a local scoutmaster said he thought that the boys had just gotten off on the wrong foot and that reform school would actually make things worse. And he lobbied to have them instead work one day a week at the local youth center that he worked at. And apparently a judge of Constable, magistrate, whoever decides these things, decided that they would allow that to happen. So Waylon and Brother Tommy would work at this youth center one day a week instead of being sent off to reform school. Mm. Now, teachers and LD will remember this era as well. Will, I suppose you do too. Teachers all had paddles and they Mm -hmm. used them back then. And Waylon remembered getting spanked for various offenses, including having cigarettes in class. However, when the high school principal tried to paddle him for walking on the grass instead of the sidewalk, Waylon took the paddle away from him and told him that he was going to whip his ass with it. <laughs> there was a long <laughs> there was a long standoff that was finally diffused by the football coach. But Waylon was set to, quote, whip the ass of the principal with his own paddle. In 10th grade, after he missed some time with illness, he was called into the superintendent's office. He was asked if he was going to play football that year. Waylon said, no, he had decided not to. And was then asked, well, if you're not going to play football, why bother coming to school that made sense to Waylon who didn't like school anyway so he dropped out <laughs> in 10th oh grade God. much later in life however and I mean much later like when he was 60 Waylon would get his GED to prove to his youngest son that education was important nice that's cool now Waylon decided around the same time that he didn't want to pick cotton anymore 
So he literally dropped his sack and quit in the middle of picking a row. He had to get a job, though, and that didn't seem to go well either. He drove a cement truck for a while, but he took a turn too sharp, turned the trunk over, and dumped the load of cement all over the road. And he literally just walked away from the wreck and never went back to work. He worked in a garage briefly, but he was changing a customer's oil and accidentally filled the engine up with transmission fluid instead. Again, he just walked away and never came back. Uh-huh. He worked in his dad's his in his dad's little store. He unloaded trucks at Piggly Wiggly. He ran the projector at a Mexican movie theater, which I find fascinating. He worked at a paint and body shop. He stocked shelves at a grocery store, all of which he considered dead-end jobs and none of which lasted very long. The one constant, though, was the guitar, which he said rarely left his hands. Now, he flunked music class in high school for, quote, lack of musical ability, and he never learned to read music. <laughs> and he, But he started to feel like music was going to be his way out and his life's calling somehow. Music hit him in a way that nothing else did. He said that he got chills, literal body chills, the first time he heard Hank Williams sing Lost Highway. He even had a premonition of Hank's death, thinking how strange it would be if Williams passed away while he had the single, I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive out. And that's exactly what happened. Hank died in the back of that Cadillac at the age of 29, while the single he had out at the time was, I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive, which is... That's something. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. When, is what it... when Hank died, however, quote, it was like my world had ended, Waylon said. Now, he learned to play the songs they heard on the radio by the likes of the great Hank, the other Hank, Hank Snow, who was also great. He was just, he wasn't Hank Williams, Chet Atkins and Ernest Tubb. It was mostly country, which he said was seen as the music of the have-nots at that time. He said, though, when his poor family sat around a radio listening to the Opry around a pot-bellied stove in their two-room house, they felt a kinship to those performers. However, Waylon was also drawn to the soul and blues music primarily being played by Black musicians at the time. Now, Waylon never attended an integrated school, but when he was picking cotton in those cotton fields, he did so shoulder-to-shoulder with Black field workers, and he, when, when he was very young, he played with their children. He said that he was the only white guy allowed to come in a black club called the Dewdrop Inn. Of course, spelled D-E-W, the Dewdrop Inn. He said that he saw there a guy who called himself Chuck Berry Jr. He had a gold four-leaf clover in each of his four front teeth, and he could walk with his legs over his shoulders. What? He did that on stage. What? I think what? Hang on. Yeah. I got to get a mental picture of this. Yeah, how does it work? Like contortionist style? Yes. No, yep. Okay. Like circus freak style, like Jabbo the Rubber Boy or whatever. Okay. Continue. So, so he could walk with his legs over his shoulders. He showed Waylon how to move all his guitar strings up and replace the bottom high E string with a banjo string. Now, will you actually play the guitar song? You perhaps you could tell me what the effect of that would be. I don't know enough about banjo strings to say. I mean, it's going to definitely change it to that kind of tinnier sound that a banjo has. But, maybe but hang on. Do banjos, banjos have metal strings, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Where, where guitars where, typically nylon yeah. or. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming what that would do, it would resonate different. It would almost sound tinny yeah. as opposed to like dry, like a normal guitar is. Well, also, Those, I mean, a good a good example of this was the great uh, Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath, who used banjo strings. He right, who, yeah. who for out of necessity tuned all of his strings down and used banjo strings, mm-hmm. which is part of why what gave Sabbath that 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 sound in the nineteen seventy that nobody else had. Yeah, um, but anyway, so that's that's a thing that this this guy who called himself Chuck Berry Jr. taught him to do. 
Now, by this time, Waylon was starting to get serious with a girlfriend named Maxine Carol Lawrence, a black-haired, blue-eyed cheerleader and pageant queen from nearby Spade, Texas. You passed an open sewer going to Spade, and Waylon said locals said directions there were, quote, go out the Lubbock Highway until you smell shit and then turn left. (laughs) (laughs) And I guarantee you, no one was ever lost. No one ever got lost there. Waylon didn't have much money then, so he would try to pick her up late for dates, hoping that perhaps she would already have eaten supper and he wouldn't have to pay for it. They'd go to Jamborees, which I think is very similar to Hootenannies, also Fandangos and Hayrides. I think those are all worthy gigs. Yes. I'm, I'm going to back you on that. Yep. Fandango. Um, they would frequently go to Jamborees in this town called Whiteface, which was actually named for Whiteface Cattle, or they'd go to the drive-in movie. He said for about a year, she gave him, quote, stone aches, and that he'd end up walking, quote, spraggle-legged after a night of doing everything but fully consummating the relationship. So basically, uh, however, t- tiny years, tiny years. So basically, blue balls. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. He'd get out with blue balls and a boner, and he would walk spraggle-legged and have stone aches. However, on Christmas Eve, 1955, Waylon and Maxine went to the home of a Church of Christ preacher in New Mexico, and they wed. I mean, on the at right least, there, I mean, unclear who rode shotgun. <laughs> and I'm using that metaphor for a very easy to figure out reason. Hang on. Hang on. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Oh, got it. It's just, oh my God. Did, they, did he get married so he could finish, I guess? Um, well, Maxine thought that she was pregnant. They had apparently... Uh, they had apparently consummated things by the time they actually wed. Yeah. Okay, cool, 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 cool. So Maxine thought she was pregnant, and so they went to... Apparently, you didn't have to take a blood test in New Mexico. Hmm. So I don't know. Huh. And I think the only reason that they cared was because I think you actually had to pay for the blood test. I and didn't, Wayland, didn't... As, as mentioned before, they were, they were basically broke, so he didn't want to have to spend money on a blood test, so they... I believe that is why they went to New Mexico to to get married. Wait, didn't we have to take blood tests, honey? Uh, when they got married, Maxine. We did in South Carolina, yeah. Yeah, we did. When we got married, I think we had to have a blood test. I think so, yeah. Now, Maxine thought she was pregnant. Waylon said he really didn't want to get married because he was so young and dumb and didn't know anything about being a husband. However, it became readily apparent later that night that Maxine was, in fact, not actually pregnant. There was visual evidence... that she was not pregnant hey so great so the whole ant flow was in town so anyway you know the whole we got to get married because because you're pregnant thing totally fell apart like a few hours after they got married Waylon said quote that's just an old country boy's look (laughs) so the two moved into a tiny house in north lake texas across the street from a high school and Waylon worked for a lumber company making the princely sum of 45 dollars a week hello why Why, that's nearly $7 a day. Now you're living high on the hog. Of course, by this time, we're in the mid-50s, so perhaps pay and standard of living had gone up a little bit in the area. By all accounts, he was a good worker, and he was lured away by another lumber company after negotiating himself a hefty salary increase to $48.50 a week. He quit that job abruptly after an on-the-job mishap, however, and he ended up working as a DJ. Oh, my. On the voice of Lamb County, W. K or excuse me, K V O W fourteen ninety, which which shows a an absolutely threadbare thin connection between me and Wayland. His first job was at fourteen ninety on your AM dial, as was mine. That was my first radio job, fourteen ninety. Different station, but 
same frequency. Now, going from manual labor to being on the radio sounds like a big jump, but Waylon had actually been on the radio for several years by that point. After he won a local talent contest, a local station owner gave him a 15-minute long weekend show, which grew to 30 minutes over time. He was a natural with a good voice, a good sense of humor, and he would actually play jingles and some songs live. That station specialized, did 1490, in what was called block programming. So he essentially played two hours of classic country, two hours of new country, and two hours of quote, various on his 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. show. He would play a lot of country, but he would also play the likes of Ray Charles, Chuck Berry, the real one, not the one from the dude drop in that walked like a spider, ah. uh, and Little Richard. <laughs> now, the station the station owner would drive to the station, would not call, drive to the radio station to admonish Waylon in person anytime that he played Waylon or that he played Little Richard. So Waylon, of course, being Waylon, played two songs by Little Richard back to back to screw with the guy and got fired. <laughs> he quickly hooked on at another station full time, however, and he appeared on a Sunday dance party show on another station that often featured live music. Now, there was a guy that often appeared at that Sunday dance party named Charles. He was playing country music mostly, but was starting to work in a little bit of blues and a little bit of early rock into the sound. Waylon had seen him at a couple of shows and thought Charles was good, though the two, though he wasn't really a finished product yet. The two met for the first time at a restaurant in Lubbock, Texas. Waylon could not have known it then, but Charles was on the verge of creating an entirely new sound, changing music forever, and becoming a legend. He'd take Waylon along for the ride, and in every sense, would end up being his best buddy. And that, friends, is where we're going to hit the pause button. So, early thoughts. If this is just the beginning, holy crap, buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Yeah, this is stuff I hadn't even heard before. And we're already getting into completely bananas territory. It's awesome. <laughs> B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Oh, 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 yeah. Yes. Part two has follows much the same path, but I'm just going to go ahead and warn everybody yeah, well in advance here, a week in advance. Part two, woo, the ending is horrendous. And I'm not going to expound on that. If you know Waylon's story, you know probably what I'm talking about. But if you don't, just have some Kleenex handy for the next one. It's it's about as sad a one as I've ever done, oh, unfortunately. Wow. But yeah. yeah. So this is the, a very typical country music singer story, right? What we've heard so far. This is abject poverty. This is actual hard manual labor. This is listening to Bill Monroe singing on WSM on the Opry on Saturday nights. This 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 the basic parts of this script we've heard before this seems to be very a lot of these themes are very common when we do country singers yeah because life is a country i would song, say yeah. so anyway thanks guys i'm looking forward to the rest of the series because uh, i feel like it's going to be just the slap nuttiest of slap nuts it is when wayland gets money <laughs> when oh my god when wayland has like screw you money Screw you, screw me, money. It it gets it's off the it's it's absolutely off the rails. And completely. then he just this he is just, this is Waylon when he's this is flat broke Waylon when he's sixteen years old. I, I, yeah, I, I was gonna say he's not even eighteen yet. Right. He I think about the time that he got married, I think he had just turned eighteen and she had just graduated high school. I think I think they were both eight. They were, they were about the same age. I think he had just literally just turned eighteen. So, I mean, I mean, if he's got money, think about how many theaters he could tear the screen at. Yeah, and how much he can set on fire. Yeah, I, I feel I have a feeling a lot's going to be set on fire. Fire and explosions do uh, play quite a role as we move forward. Uh huh. 
Cool, cool. Great. Awesome. I love it. So anyway, that's all I've got for this week. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to the episodes ahead. I'm just going to give out our socials now. Big, big news happening, guys. We actually put it to a vote online about what you guys would like to see in our Patreon, what kind of tiers you'd like to see, what kind of rewards you would like to see. So please head over to our Facebook page and throw an idea down in the comments because we are completely revamping our Patreon. We're actually going to use it to our and, like, advantage. Put and put names on it? Yep, yeah, yeah all start, that. Yeah. I mean, I did recover the password, so that's good. But but yeah, if you would like to be a Patreon and support the show, you could do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. Don't even bother going to Twitter. That's Desert Wasteland. Our Instagram, though, is rock and roll heaven LT. Facebook, rock and roll heaven pod. Please head over there. Join us. We have a lot of fun. Edmund Thea, of course, killing it. We love it. Still not saying our website. And you can check out our TikTok where we give fun facts and uh, try to keep you updated over there with anything that is newsworthy when it comes to the mortality of rock and roll artists. And you can also email us at rockandrollheavenlt at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at pantheonpodcast.com. And I would like to say thank you so much to Pantheon for having us at Rockin' Pod a couple weeks ago. It was a lot of fun. We had oh, yeah. uh, we had a blast. I got some stuff for my brother. He's going to love it. And I actually got to meet the voice of Jim yeah. from Jim and the Holograms. So That's awesome. So, uh, yeah, we had a really good time. Hoping to see you guys the next one next year, of course. So, you know, once that's all shaken out, we'll let you guys know. But other than that, Will, would you like to say anything to our audience? No, just again, reiterating how much I've looked forward to this series, and we are off to a great start. So, welcome yep. season four. Three? Yep. What? Four. Four. Yes. We're on four. Five, Five sir. Three. Four. <laughs> One. Yep. All right. Well, I guess I will say my goodbyes again. Thank you guys so much for checking this episode out. Please make sure to return next week where we pick up episode two of Mr. Waylon Jennings. I'm going to pass it over to my brother for the final word on the episode. Well, as always, bye, everybody. But um, we're going to close out part one of I don't know how many yet. I'm normally done writing about the only thing I do better than Will and LD is write like a head. Usually if we start a series, I'm done. I'm done with the entire series. And I'm not with this one. And I don't know how long it's going to be. It's going to be the longest one I've ever done for sure. So I'm fine um, with that. <laughs> hey, all good. But, you know, I think... Once we get into the meat of his career, you'll see it's it's totally worth it. <laughs> Absolutely worth it. So we will. This is the first of, I'm going to say, seven, eight, nine, ten, seven, all right, a bunch on Waylon Jennings. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to end with Waylon covering one of his heroes. You heard me mention that his quote was that he felt like his world ended when he learned that the great Hank Williams had passed away. Later in his career, Waylon would do an entire album of Hank Williams covers and I love this version of it. This is a song that has been cut by a million different people. And I'm not just saying this because I like Waylon because we're doing this series on him. I think his remake is the best one I've probably ever heard. So we're going to sign out tonight from Rock and Roll Heaven with Waylon Jennings covering the great Hank Williams song, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. Great song. All right. Yeah. See you next time, guys. Hear that some will He sounds too blue to fly 
just winding road. I'm so lonesome I could cry. I've never seen a night so long when time goes crawling by. The moon just went behind the clouds to hide its face and cry. That means he's lost his will to live. I'm so lonesome I could cry. The silence of a falling star lights up a purple sky. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 